Welcome to the Inside Zone Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Inside Zone Podcast. I'm, well, hang on one second. There we go. Sorry, just intercepting a Philip Rivers pass there. I'm Nick Dunkerson, senior NFL writer, and I am joined by the grand poobah himself, Mr. Fanciest Seat at Inside Zone Towers, Tom Like, How are you doing, Tom? Did you enjoy that late touchdown the Dolphins scored against Jets? Uh, I thought part of the agreement of coming on the podcast this week was that we would not discuss the uh, Dolphins' failure to show up in New York. I mean, we can blame it on you know the Hurricane Irma, uh, the political situation this week, but whichever way you spin it, that was a terrible result for Miami, and we will be swiftly moving on. I'll take that as a yes then. Anyway, we've got a good show for you today. We've got a couple of reviews from of games from an absolutely fantastic weekend of action with final drive drama galore. We'll get to a couple of next week's games and later on um, we're going to be joined by the inestimable Mark Schofield of Inside a Pylon who's going to join us to look ahead to next year in fact and we're going to talk some draft eligible quarterbacks. Um, but first let's look at a few games from a fantastic um, week for week three of action. And um, why don't I go first? Because let's start Thursday night um, with the Rams driving up the coast to uh, well a good 50 miles outside San Francisco, to be honest. What a game. To take on, to take on the 49ers. Yeah, what a game. And on the show last week, um, I previewed Browns Colts, and I was sort of thinking about sometimes bad teams can combine to play incredible games. That game wasn't it. It was this game, because this was fantastic. Um, a real sort of a ding-dong battle the rams look great jared goff really looks like he's getting it doesn't he um i mean sometimes you get the sort of um, bad quarterbacks putting up sort of um, statistically very impressive performances against weak opposition but never looking convincing in this case jared got sort of um two 22 of 28 two nine two three touchdowns look convincing the niners have got not a great defense beyond the d-line and navarro bowman the Rams' O-line only held up middlingly, but it held up enough for Goff to make the most of his sort of sudden embarrassment of receiving riches. Um, he sprayed it around enough. I mean, you've got sort of, what, 100-yard games for um, Sammy Watkins. Fantastic. Robert Woods. Um, he barely even used Cooper Cup, who was his sort of um, stare-down receiving target last week. You've got players like Tyler Higby and um, Gerald Everett at tight end who mismatched weapons, but he didn't even need to use them again. I think it's really impressive that if he started to spread his targets around, showing accuracy, if he can progress for his root reads, um, that'll bode well. What won't is him drifting around pocket, which he did a fair few times, which led to a bit too unnecessary pressure. But, I mean, where he was at last season, I think that's it. Um, Todd Gurley, three touchdowns. I think this Rams offense just looks balanced. Yeah. And I don't think I've seen a Rams offense looking balanced while I've been a fan of the NFL, and it's it's, it's odd to see. Um, I mean, as for the 49ers, I mean, you know, Brian Hoyer has a big game, which doesn't really help anyone. I think mainly what that demonstrates is that the Rams' personnel aren't quite fully au fait with Wade Phillips' 4-3 yet. Aaron Donald had a huge game, huge game because he's the best player in the league. Um, and so interestingly, did Mike, so interestingly did Michael Brockers, best defensive player in the league. Okay. Go. Um, I mean, I, I think if, if all positions are being created equal, I'm, I will bang the drum for Donald, who I, I think 
is, is a more dominant um, defensive interior than Brady is dominant as a quarterback. But that's sort of, I mean, that's the sort of splitting hairs that is just sort of just unnecessary to really get into arguments about that. So I'll show up now. Um, I mean, Sporting Eyes have got a lot of areas to invest in. I think yeah. they are going to have high pick, but they need several. Um, they can't rely on Pierre Garçon, who is a good possession receiver, and Marquis Goodwin, who is a sprinter with hands. Um, but they still need a new quarterback. The defence is still patchy. They did run the ball reasonably well, um, but the Rams played them quite poorly this year, so it's difficult um, to know where to assign reasons for that. I mean, did you... I mean, did you uh, I'm guessing, given you said what a game when I started introducing, you've watched a bit of this. So how did you find it? This was a, a total treat of a game, wasn't it? I mean, Thursday night football historically yeah. has been, you know, pretty terrible. And it's kind of normally teams that don't normally get to play in prime time. The NFL kind of chucks them on there to appease their fan bases. But no, this, you know, this this had all the makings of being a stinker, but it, it really wasn't. It was a shootout, 41-39. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the officiating decision at the end that, you know, Potentially might have cost the 49ers uh, uh, the game, but um, no, I, I agree with pretty much what you said. You know, I did I did a few tweets about this. I put the complimentary talent of, uh, like you said, Watkins, Woods, uh, Coop, uh, Cooper Cup. That you know, and Sean McVay. Obviously, let's not take away anything from what he's doing for Jared's yeah, development. Really impressive. Just the 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 whole team's development. The fact that they look like they have an identity. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, getting Andrew Whitworth there and at left tackle, he he's yeah. an excellent pickup. Uh, Todd Gurley, you know, refunding his 2015 form. You know, leaving 2016, you know, very much in the in the dark. There, he, he looks good again. Uh, yeah. So what I kind of took was, you know, McVeigh. He seems to be calling plays not too dissimilar from what Goff was calling at Cal. You know. The field, pretty much, you know, he, he splits the field in half. He's only got, you know, a couple of reads to go through. And it's mainly just quick hitters on primary reads. Uh, Goff looked really efficient. I also tweeted out that Kyle Shanahan uh, is running the Falcons offense from 2015. Not the 2016 all-record-breaking one, but the 2015 one, you know. Where the potential's there, but it's slightly undermanned. It's not really clicking, you know. Hmm. There's a lot of these outside zones, utilizing fullbacks and play actions. Uh, the, the 49ers defense, you know, obviously they gave up 40, 41 points, but... There's young pieces in place there, you know. I, I like the two twin towers of uh, DeForest Buckner and Amik Armstead. Twin uh, tower is that, is that their official nickname, or have you made that up? I believe that is a nickname that I have heard from uh, 49ers fans. If not, okay. then let's uh, let's quickly edit that out. But <laughs> yeah, but potentially quite a controversial one. But okay, you know, we'll go with it. We'll we'll, we'll say it was it was you know I've got feet on the ground yeah. as, as they say, Re- referencing Lord the Rings and everything. That's yeah. what it is. Uh, you know, hopefully Solomon Thomas, Reuben Foster can develop. Uh, good safety pairing, you know, Jimmy Ward and Jaquiski J- J- Tart has played well this year. Who, who would have thought? I definitely was sleeping on him when I was looking at the 49ers this offseason. But no, it was, a, it was it was a great game, great shootout. It was one of the ones the NFL needed. And I remember speaking after week one where there was so many sub 200 yard games. But this one, you know, we had over 50 first downs, 839 yards combined of offense. You know, it was a it was a real it was like watching a college game this weekend. It was a, it was a great treat. Yeah, so no, I think that was. I think it was a fantastic game. I think you know, great Thursday night, fantastic, great football. I mean, what I do, I get up on. I'm sure a lot of people do this. Get up on Friday morning, watch it. What a great start to a Friday. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about a game, Tom? What have you got for us today? Uh, the game I have got. So we will skip ahead and we'll go to Sunday night football between the uh, the Oakland Raiders 
they travelled to face the Washington Redskins or Washington football team, as some, some of you may call them. Uh, this, you know, like me, this was this was the big two pointer last week. Uh, I went for you know the Redskins yourself. You went for the Raiders, and the Raiders, you know, last year they were this team where you know everything seemed to go right, and then it went so wrong with Derek Carr breaking the hand, and we were kind of thinking, you know, what could have been for Oakland? You know, they get Marshawn Lynch back. He's dancing on the sidelines last week. The Ra- Redskins have been slow at the blocks, but this was. This was a bit of a shock result, you know. I I did pick the Redskins because I kind of thought, you know, Oakland going on the road, uh, Sunday night game, maybe Cousins in this newfound run game, you know, could hopefully you know gash the Raiders, and that's pretty much how it went, you know. Washington, they've got this newfound strong run game of Chris Thompson as kind of an all-purpose back. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he's benefiting from having from teams having to you know load the box, and despite missing Jordan Reed, you know, his big playmaker, and Terrell Pryor still not playing up to his potential, he. The Redskins balled out here. You know, I know the score is only twenty-seven ten, but the, the the Redskins really did dominate this game in every every facet. You know, I think I think Derek Carr might have had like four first downs or something until like extremely late into the game. Uh, the Redskins defense, you know, that they, they, you know, this is one of those nights where things just don't go your way if you're if you're an Oakland fan and if you're a Redskins fan, you know essentially everything went right it was it was basically the you know the, the peak ultimate game they could have had uh amari cooper he seems to have a case of the drops uh josh norman Still. you know josh norman proven he's an elite corner but maybe let's let's calm down on running his mouth so much in the uh, after the game and then uh one of my takeaways was amari cooper was the fourth overall pick in 2015 he went ahead of the likes of kevin white Devontae parker nelson Aguilar. but the best wide receiver from the 2015 class so far is the 20th receiver selected and he went 146 overall and that was can i guess can i guess can i guess someone i actually spoke to recently at an nfl event is and it is well i was gonna say it was stefan diggs that it that is it stefan diggs stefan diggs uh you know he uh, we're not going to the vikings game because we're not going to review that here but he he looks you know you compare him to what some of the other receivers on this list are doing and it's it seems like a a, a big miss i know he, he came out of maryland whereas these other guys came out of elite programs but you know cooper and crabtree were, were extremely quiet this game uh, Marshawn Lynch was extremely bottled up. You know, I've, I've, you know, his two games so far, he's he's been the focal point of that offense. But you know, nothing could go right for Oakland. Uh, it's just one of those one of those games where it's a bit of an off day for you know the Raiders. Hopefully, they can regroup next week and you know turn it round. For the Redskins, you know, two and one, very much in the division. The Giants, you know, they're not there. The Cowboys have struggled so far. You know, if you're a Washington fan, after a, a summer where really it was you know a load of negatives. With after the general manager left and all this stuff, it it looks like that this team's turned it round. I'm not sure. Did you catch any of the game at all, Nick? Um, I, I've only seen the highlights. I um, I've got a question for you. How do you, if you're Washington, how do you use Chris Thompson? I mean, because do do you try and convert him into a full-on three-down back, or do you sort of hold off and wait until you can find a game that you can involve him in and take on the chin the fact that you're probably you're therefore going whole games without getting your mate your potentially your real difference making um yeah. skill skill player in because i mean he, he didn't have eight rushing attempts this time but it's so six receiving yards 150 six six receptions sorry for 150 yards and a touchdown that that sort of i mean they leap off the statue but i mean it, it's not it's not necessarily shocking that um, raiders should get beaten where you might um, in a by a player in a position you would expect to have a safety or a linebacker covering, but I just want to think of what Washington can do because they they have struggled to get Chris Thompson to fully involved enough in games to have his potential, and here he is absolutely doing a number on Oakland. 
Yeah, I think you know they're going to struggle to get the, the level of production they got out of the screen game uh, from this one. You know, every week going forward. Uh, obviously, in the screen game, you know, you've got people like Trent Williams, Brandon Scherf. Uh, that's how you say it. Morgan Moses, right? You know, they're, they're quite mobile linemen. So once they get downfield and start blocking, you know, you know, good, they can open a lot of holes for him. Uh, it's one of these things where you know he's he's so explosive out the backfield and catching the ball, and he's got such soft hands that you want to almost keep him on a pitch count, try and keep him fresh. And normally they can do that because they got Rob Kelly back there and the uh, the rookie uh, Samage Perrine. But both both of those guys are actually injured. You know, I think Kelly's got a, a knock, and um, he, he actually missed this game. And then the rookie actually, I believe. Someone, you know, someone, someone's helmet went into his hand. So, you know, if Thompson is forced to, you know, play more on first, second, and potentially, you know, running downs with the goal line, he's going to get tired pretty quickly, and that's going to limit how explosive and effective he is catching up the backfield. So, it's one of these things for Washington where you you don't want him to be having, you know, twenty five plus carries pounding the rock. But, you know, if, if you if you if you're struggling in the backfield there, you, you're going to have to rely on him in, sh- in short yardage situations. So, I don't know. He's it, it's a, it's a nice problem to have, you know, how, how to utilize such such a weapon. But for me, I think he he's kind of that James White, you know, Dion Lewis, how they use them in New England role, where very much you know they, they're explosive out the backfield, extremely good on um, you know catching screen passes, and, they, and he's he's got the burners to take it the distance essentially. But it's whether they can find a complementary back back there to have that kind of thunder thunder and lightning approach, which uh, the Chicago Bears seem to have found with uh, Cohen and Howard. Yeah, I mean, often we, we find that teams look into these sort of things. It's a question of how they actually use them going forward that forms the basis of it. Um, moving on, let's go. Um, let's let's hop on a plane, shall we? Shall we hop on a fly, plane and fly back from um, the east coast of... Um, the USA to the southeast of the UK to London um, for Jacksonville Jaguars hosting again at, um, at, what Fortress, again? at Fortress Wembley for Jacksonville and um, the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, we we know Jacksonville has experience of playing in London now. This is their fifth year, and it's really becoming sort of increasingly apparent that what that means is that they can plan for the experience better the time zone shifts five hours. They play earlier even within that. Um, getting the prepared, the understanding of the facilities, it makes a bit of a difference. And Baltimore flew in Friday morning, looked around, looked around the stadium for about half an hour before the kickoff, um, and played like they were jet lagged. But what's been interesting generally for the Jags this year is that they know their offense's limitations, yeah. and that they now have the defense. It means in a lot of the games that they're going to play, uh, they're going to be able to have to. Uh, they're going to be able to avoid having to exp- expose Blake Bortles. Um, obviously, we know he's not a, he's um, not a good quarterback to say the very least. Um, he struggles accuracy. His mechanics are a big deal. When he throws a lot of passes, his his basically everything goes all over the shop. He starts winding up, starts hurling it, starts looking like a kind of a slow arm javelin thrower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, and we know as well that without Alan Robinson, they've got a bunch of wide receiver twos, threes, and fours. But that's it. We know the offensive line is middling, where you've only got maybe a couple of players: Patrick O'Mame at guard and Brandon Linder at centre, who'd clock in at above average. But when you're not going behind early, you can use your three few strengths. You can reliably run on first and second down with your generational talent. You can limit your quarterback to higher percentage throws and scheme to make sure that he's got sort of players coming over the middle or players coming crossing routes, slants, whatever you want to play him, and you've got enough good receivers, not great receivers, but good receivers, who are going to be able to get instantly open, even if there's a, even if there's a defense is kind of crashing in. 
Um, I think what worked especially well with the Jags, though, in this game was it's a game plan that works very well against an aggressive defence that's desperate to kind of get home on every single play, it seems like. I mean, the Jags O-line gave just enough time for Bortles um, to hit, basically hit the receiver left open by the blitzing safety. Marcades Lewis basically got um, three touchdowns because he was repeatedly left with CJ Mosley in single coverage, it seemed like. Um, and that's a symptom of that. Bortles didn't need amazing vision or perfect touch the way that this was game planned for him. Yeah, I mean... Baltimore, of course, were absolutely awful on offense. I, I just want to oh, um, pause, pause. I mean, Joe Flacco, these stats actually flatter Joe Flacco because he was 8 of 18 for 28 yards oh. with two interceptions. I mean, I, I, I don't even really know where you start with that. It just seems like, I mean, we know Flacco has been a bit injured. It's just a complete statistical anomaly. Oh, I mean, looking at... You, you look at the sort of the box score and you see, oh, Alex Collins, nine rushes for 82 yards. That's good. Yeah, garbage time against Jags' yeah. backup defence. Um, but we knew Baltimore had this awful offence coming into the offseason. Aussie Newsom did basically nothing to strengthen it, which, was, which no one was surprised by, I think. Um, the running game, sort of Buck Allen and Terrence Rest had been a bit of a positive, but the Jags just stopped it. Um, and again, we, we've said this actually a couple of times this season, which tells you how much we're talking about Jacksonville but this is an incredible incredible defensive unit yeah. the pass rush gets home and can stop the run as well because it's interior and it's exterior um at linebacker Telvin Smith Miles Jack and Paul Puzlosny wow I think I mean Puzlosny's playing the best football of his career he's always been a sort of tackle machine who's kind of a one-dimensional player and suddenly he looks like a complete linebacker and that's even before you even start talking about sort of and Tashon Gibson at safety before you talk about the excellent cornerback duo, Jalen Ramsey and AJ Boyd. Don't forget Barry Church um, back there. I mean, yeah, Barry Church, I've not, I've not seen a whole heap of how he's played in Jacksonville this year. I know he was sort of solid in the bend, don't break type and give up a few plays, but don't give up the house in Dallas. So I've not, I can't really say how he's adjusted to the system, but yeah, I mean, it's basically 11 very good players on defense and great depth. I mean, got any thoughts on um, Baltimore against Jacksonville, Tom? No, I've, I've, I think you've covered that excellent, excellently there. You know, the, the, the team, both, both of these teams, you know, they're set up, set up to try and get an early score, run on their defences, maybe kick a few field goals here. Uh, no, I, I, thought was, I thought you did an excellent breakdown there. Uh, what, I, what I said about, I, you know, I obviously wrote about this Jags defence in the offseason and I said that they had the potential to be, you know, a top five unit, but what might hold them back is just how quickly these new additions can kind of, you know, operate in the system and how quickly they can gel together. And I, to be fair, I don't think I could have foreseen how quickly they've hit the ground running. Like <laughs> Calais Campbell, Calais Campbell yeah. AJ Bouye. I mean, wow, these guys, they, they haven't missed a beat. They've come in and they've performed at an extremely high level like the Jags would have hoped for right away. Uh, Bouye and Ramsey, you know, I mean, apart from Denver, I can't really think of, you know, Atlanta's probably out there, but there's, there's probably not a better cornerback duo in the league at the minute. Uh, you know, that, that defensive line is pretty scary when you've got, you know, Campbell lining up the middle with next to Malik Jackson, then you got and Gokwe and you know Dante Fowler on the outside, and even Avery Jones. You know he's he's currently a rotational interior lineman. He he'd probably start for half the NFL teams mm. defensive tackle position, and you know all three linebackers they can run in space. Uh, for the Ravens, I I don't think we need to, we need to dwell too much. They, they, yeah, like, they, like, they were, were shell shocked. They were completely 
completely you know culture shock they were not expecting they got off the bus they got off the plane and they were hit by a bus they were not ready to go <laughs> it's it's a competitive advantage the jags have got by you know they're so in tune and so switched on with how to play this international series game that it, it's no wonder they've won three three um three years in a row uh, yeah i think the, the you know the ravens are awful on the offense couldn't move the ball at all on this jaguars defense uh you know jags are going to be coming back next year and it wouldn't surprise me if they, if they win again you know they've got, well, they've got this down Speaking of next year, um, one th- one thing we noticed about London Games, I mentioned this to you offline, um, the UK bon- Broncos fans Twitter account did some sterling investigative work this week. Um, there's a competition running by NFL Fan Pass this week, and one of the prizes is a season ticket to next year's London Games. And the thing is, in the small print, it explicitly mentions five games. So I would say, I would I can't claim it as breaking news unless you, well, unless either A, we're wrong, or B, um, you follow the Broncos UK fans Twitter account. And if you're a Broncos fan, go and do it. All, all fans of all teams, follow your UK Twitter fans. Um, they're all, most all, doing an absolutely sterling job. Um, but yeah, it's a Are step near. paid to say this. No, I think I think. Do, do you know what? I I I think they're really good resources. Actually, um, I mean, I, I sort of in within the compass of me trying to kind of keep up to date with what everyone's going on about. I think it's quite useful to follow them and see what the fans are doing. Some of them are sort of, you know, it's it's kind of automated stuff and yeah. um, it's not very useful. Some of them are really engaging. I mean, like obviously the Packers one, which is absolutely huge, you see. But, um, I mean, people like um, the guy who runs the Arizona account's great. Um, Broncos one's good. I like the Colts one. The, even the Saints guy, I mean, I would say that, obviously. But the Saints fan account is pretty good. But um, the Bears one... Yeah, I could, I could reel them off. I think they're really good, and it's really, really positive for fans of teams. And I know, yeah, I know. Support NFL is a neutral. That's my. That's the way that I go in things. But if you're a fan of teams, they're great, and follow them and say hi. There we go. I completely lost the run myself there. And um, where I was going with that, if we scroll all the way back to um, thinking about the London games, um, I think it's a step nearer what I suspect is the NFL's end game, which is this idea of a virtual franchise eight London games a year but no team permanently based here um, moving on we've got one more game that I think you're going to quickly look at I will um, you, so give us give us give us what you got Tom so yep I actually wrote a site uh, I wrote a site God, I wrote an article on the site well you did write you did write a site in fairness I, to be fair <laughs> with, with the help of WordPress and a bit of programming and a lot of you know user guides I, I did create a site but no I'm, I'm gonna I, I spoke about the Titan Seahawks game I had five takeaways uh, the no, biggest takeaway from this uh, you know why the result went the Titans way is that penalties absolutely killed Seattle uh, you know the Seahawks outgained the, outgained the Titans 433 yards to 420 no team had any turnovers. The Seahawks had ten passing first downs. The same, you know, Tennessee had. I think they had they had six or something or four. I can't remember how much it was. Uh, Seattle also gained four rushing first downs compared to the Titans five. But what happened was the Seahawks had eleven penalties for ninety-eight yards compared to the Tennessee having five. But most importantly, the Seahawks surrendered six first down from penalties. And you know, when the Titans did eventually have holes against the Seahawks, it was for large chunk plays like the extremely long DeMarco Murray run, the long Rashad Matthews touchdown uh, right after the catch. Uh, a few other takeaways I had here. Uh, I'm not sure if it's just me, but I've got some serious question marks about this Seattle front seven. You know, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, Sheldon Richardson, Frank Clark, Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright, household names, but back-to-back weeks now, they've surrendered over, I think it's, you know, if not over 150 yards each game, then very, very close to. You know, they, They've been gashed on the ground the last couple of weeks. Uh, Tennessee's defense... I think, I think- 
they've been knackered because they're, they're stuck on the field so much. Uh, and, and they've been up against two great offensive lines. Actually, who did they play last week? They had uh, the, the 49ers, so it's you know it's not like they're, oh. they're not setting the world yeah, alight there. No. But and the, you know the, the the problem is is that the, what I'm getting at is that Seattle of old was a championship defense with a very strong run game. But what we had was Russell Wilson threw for a career high 49 times. I mean, do you want Wilson throwing 49 times if you're a Seahawks fan? You know, especially with that O line in front of him, he, you know the, the defense couldn't catch a breath. They were constantly on the field, and then when they were on the field, you had Demarco Murray, Derek Henry, you know the two-headed monster, you know battering into the the, the front line of the linebackers. And what happened as a result? Mariota had plenty of time to find people downfield, although he didn't actually play too well, Mariota, based on the amount of time he had. But you know the the Seahawks front seven, they didn't have a single hit, let alone a sack on Mariota. They didn't touch him all game long. Uh, the Seahawks need to try and find a strong run game, whether it's for Eddie Lacy, who's been you know, basically a non-factor, who's been a healthy scratch in um, week two, whether it's with the new car- the new running back Carson, or whether it's through Thomas Rawls. You know, they have to try and establish something on the ground. And one final thing here, uh, this was a little bonus, the NFL needs to re-evaluate the severity of individual rules. How on earth can a cheap shot targeting a quarterback out of bounds be offset by an offensive lineman protecting his quarterback and having a go, well, I say having a go, that's, that's mild, but you know, getting in Sherman's face, how on earth is that offsetting? And how was Sherman not ejected? How is it not a targeting call? He got an unsportsmanlike conduct for shouting at a ref, but for trying to take off a, you know, a quarterback's head, he didn't get an unsportsmanlike conduct instead on the field. He also drew three fouls on one play. I was wondering when you were going to get the uh, the old Richard Sherman thing, and I think that you're actually right that sort of it is important to consider whether you know is um, defensive holding enough to offset a um, personal foul, sort of unnecessary roughness. I don't think it should be, but here we are. Um, I think it was it was a good game, and yeah, I think I, I think you undersell, undersell the Tennessee O line in the power of stopping that front seven in Seattle. But, you know, horses for courses. If Seattle did it two weeks in a row, then maybe it is a trend. Um, before we go on to the previews for next week, um, I think, actually, I'm going to take a bit of an aside, Tom, because I think it would be kind of irresponsible here not to talk about what is the biggest story of the weekend's games and what essentially is one of the biggest stories for America as a whole. And it's that of the anthem protests that we've seen now since pre-season of 2015 that to 2016, sorry, that obviously stepped very much up this week, responding to President Trump's outburst um, that decried all anthem protesters, essentially people exercising their free First Amendment free speech. SOBs, he called them, didn't he? He called them SOBs. He called them sons of bitches. To me, they're just protesting police brutality and racial inequality. That was how it started initially. Um, but what we had as a result, response to Trump, um, massive displays of unity across all games, really, with some teams like the Seahawks and Titans not taking the field to the anthem. We had anthem singers taking a knee for the end of the anthem. We had owners and coaches joining players to link arms and show support on the sidelines. Um, now, this is a bit, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little, um, but not really, because I think over here in Britain, we're sort of observers, aren't we? Um, but sport and politics, I think, have been intertwined forever. I mean, from Olympic protests to the vast array of collisions um, between round football, river football and politics. Um, on that, internally, I would recommend Simon Cooper's book, Football Against the Enemy, if you're so inclined and want to find out more in that sphere. But you can't separate them. And yes, I know people do have 
um, sport as this kind of escape from politics, and politics is depressing. We get that it can be a trigger for anxiety, for mental health issues, um, even for those of us who are part of sort of dominant social groups. But it is a huge issue that we all have some responsibility to be aware of. America does have this problem that we're seeing um, with white supremacists, with massive racial inequality and a sort of chronic refusal to sort of almost attempt empathy, I think, in many areas of society. And whatever becomes of these protests, even if sort of as some fear in a worst case scenario, it's co-opted as almost like a branding exercise for the League of Owners and League and Owners. And if you saw the Sports Illustrated cover circulating on Twitter, um, which discludes Colin Kaepernick from its depiction of loyalty, suggests that that might be likely. We can at least hope that this starts a conversation in America. And yes, it's an issue. I think institutional racism, that sort of thing. A lot of countries do have that in some level of severity. But if we, if they, if we, if they, if all of us can understand that there is this situation where black people are discriminated against socially and organisationally. I think it's something that we need to talk about and we need to celebrate. I, I think at the, at the very least, it, it starts the conversation is what the, the unity that a lot of the players were showing. I, I think that, that that is very much the hope that it is a conver- that it is very much a conversation. It doesn't just either become on one side a slanging match or on the other side sort of brushed under the carpet. We will see how it goes on. I, I think neither of us want to dwell on it too long. Um, you have to acknowledge it. No, oh, yeah. So there we go. It, it, it overshadowed the whole weekend. You know, I mean, the NFL's ratings were sky high. It was the number one talked about event on Sunday, and it wasn't because of the the, the action going on. Unfortunately, that's kind of where, where we seem to be. So we'll, we'll I think the action being fantastic helps as oh, well. Oh yeah, though, in what, the future. What a so, week, you know. Yeah. Um, anyway, hopefully we didn't. Hopefully we've dealt with that okay. Um, if you've got any thoughts on that, we're just we're amateurs over here. We're observers. We don't know much. Please feel free to sort of. Um, Respectfully, let us know what you think. Anyway, let's move. Let's move on to a few quick previews for next week. Um, I am going to go first because I'm the presenter and I'm quite enjoying sort of pushing you out the way to go first. And I'm going to talk about the Detroit Lions and the Minnesota Vikings, which I think will be a great game to watch. Um, I mean, we may still not have Sam Bradford back at that point, but Case Keenum's performance at the weekend gives us all hope of a fun game. I think having the aforementioned Stefan Diggs and Adam Phelan, and I saw on NFL.com the great Greg Rosenthal um, suggesting they are the best wide receiver duo in the league, which is contentious, but the fact that the point can be made is amazing. You've got Dalvin Cook as well, top-notch defence, but Minnesota can be flaky, and this is a Lions team full of spirit with talent across the roster if they're lacking any elite, specifically elite positional group. If Detroit are in this, they've always got a chance, and if answer and whoever else they can put across from him can start to beat back Minnesota's own lane that's a big chance and a tight game Tom throw us a preview who, who are you looking forward to this uh, weekend well, not really looking forward to but a quick 20 second <laughs> quick 20 I know where this is going quick 20 second previews obviously we've got to address the, uh, the London game is the New Orleans Saints take on the Miami Dolphins uh, Saints coming off an extremely impressive win against Carolina on the weekend Miami you know they're looking to rebound from that terrible humiliating loss at the hands of the Jets <laughs> Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how you know uh, Miami tries to deal with Cameron Jordan, who's currently a one-man wrecking ball. 
Uh, the Saints secondary, who's you know very young, largely untested. How are they going to stack up against Devontae Parker, Jarvis Landry, Kenny Stills? Uh, does Jay Cutler even care about football anymore? You know, in Miami, you know the fans are used to seeing Ryan Tannehill standing in there taking hits in the pocket. Jay Cutler, he was hit early, and he—I don't want to accuse him of, of you know not giving a hundred percent, but he looked like he had other things he wanted to be doing on <laughs> Has- Sunday. Has um, Jay Cutler ever been caught giving a hundred percent? Exactly. That, that that's, one, that's one of the questions of one of the worries we had. Uh, no, that that should be a fun game. Could potentially be a bit of a shootout. Uh, obviously, uh, those Dolphins fans who remember Drew Brees famously should have come to Miami. And uh, one, one, of, one of the big what ifs in the NFL is what if Nick Saban landed Drew Brees? You know, Nick Saban went on to be you know the most successful college coach of all time at not named Bear Bryant. If he'd have got Drew Brees in Miami, what might have been? Would that have sparked a dynasty? Uh, Give us one final. Um, give us one final preview. Well, looking forward well, to. I mean, I, I, I should probably just note. Um, Tom and I are fans, respectively, of um, the Dolphins and the Saints, and like the good digital NFL UK fans, neither of us were able to get to the game this weekend for various reasons. So um, go team us. Um, uh, and I, listen to Thomas <laughs> Willoughby's meetup. I believe he was stood there for about an hour by the burger van waiting for people to turn up. So if, oh, if, oh God, yeah, no. Um, sorry, so Tom Willoughby, um, Falcons writer for the site, yeah, lambasted me after the pod for not mentioning um, his meetup at London Games. Is, is he having another one? Sorry, is he sort of once bitten, twice shy? I'm not sure. Check his Twitter. Uh, uh, everyone, go and talk to Tom Willoughby, Willow, and then... A Loads whole heap of, of numbers. numbers. Yeah, find let, him. Let, let, let Willow two nine zero five nine two. Go find him. Ask him what two nine zero five nine two means. And if he's doing um, a meetup, go say hello. <laughs> just just say hello and walk off. Right. Quick, um, quickly moving yeah. on. Um, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Here's two teams that two one. Despite the fact that neither really looked good. I mean, we talked about Baltimore's um, looking jet lagged, but they've not taken a bye. They're coming straight back. They had that option. Interesting. Um, it's still potentially an elite defence going up against Pittsburgh's really talent-rich offence, but Le'Veon Bell struggled to get traction. There's been only flashes of anyone other than Antonio Brown on that O. Um, and Baltimore's defensive interior won't give Bell a moment's piece. Um, Baltimore looks so weak across the offence. Pittsburgh's serviceable D could have a bit of a coming-out party. But, you know, this is going to be fun and fiery as a divisional matchup to watch. It will be indeed. Shall we finish before we go into the uh, Mark Schofield interview about college fo- football quarterbacks? We will finish with the NFL Pickums that was famously teased last week. Teased indeed. Yeah. Right. So, coming out of week 1, Nick, you were uh, before we go on, just want to say me and Nick played in fantasy this week. Uh, and the silence on his end might indicate which way the result went. We'll leave it there. I, 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 pl- I play. I played four leagues at the moment, and I was zero and four this weekend. <laughs> and in in our league with the inside zone writers, my girlfriend is currently top three and zero, putting us all to shame. It's Willow is bottom. I should have my wife to play. They would we, they would have been one and two, wouldn't they? Willow is bottom, is he? I've he, I'm, that's he's not one again. It wasn't. Wasn't the cracker this week? I think we put up a combined like eighty points between us or something terrible like that. Maybe we should get um, my girlfriend over some fantasy advice going forwards. That might be. <laughs> maybe we could actually get Willow to win a game. That that would be good to see. Uh, right, NFL pickums. So after week one, Nick, you found yourself on six points. I found myself on five points. You got the Bengals Texans right. I got it wrong. We both got the Bucks at Bears correct. I got the Steelers beating the Vikings, although to be fair to you, you still thought Sam Bradford was playing quarterback. Uh, we both got the Chiefs beating the Eagles in week two. We both got the Titans over the Jags. I got the Dolphins against the Chargers, and then we both scored nil pois 
for Broncos at Cowboys and the big two-pointer, we both backed the Packers. So how that shakes out is I had scored five points, you scored four. So we finished week two on ten points. So it's all even going into week three. Week three, the early London game. You backed the Jags, I backed the Ravens. Yes. We both backed the Eagles to beat the Giants, and it took an un, you know the, the, the rookie yeah. sixty-one yarder to, to get it there. But, but we what there. a finish! What a finish! I backed the Colts to beat the Browns. You went for Cleveland, so because I'm an idiot. Yeah, that's all square. Saints Panthers. We both went for the Panthers. Keep pounding, no more. Um, I don't even know what the Saints Twitter handle is. Who uh, dat probably? Who dat probably? Yeah, we both went for the Falcons over the Lions. I went for the Redskins over the Raiders. You went for the Raiders. I went for the Cow- Oh no, we both went for the Cowboys over the Cardinals. And then for the big two-pointer, Nick Dunkison, you went for the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> I went for the Tennessee Titans. What a mare, what a mare. How that shakes out is I scored seven, you scored four. Heading into week four, it's 17-14 the boss with that all to play for the boss you can't you, you can't <laughs> give yourself a nickname i'm gonna i'm gonna think of a nickname for you for next week and it might well be millennial pipsqueak there we go with three with three points to make up how does that impact you in week four i'll i'll you go first because that way i'll be choosing the two-pointer first so titans at texans how are you going uh titans i am joining you there both going for tennessee uh lions at vikings i'm gonna go for the lions what about yourself i am gonna go for the vikings vikings there we go uh bengals at browns bengals consensus pick i'm also going for cincinnati who day uh la rams at dallas cowboys i'm gonna go yeah go for it sorry good one sorry i'm gonna go for big d i'm gonna go for dallas who are you going for Ah, uh, yeah, this is really tough, isn't it? Um, I, I, I think it's probably got to be Dallas. Dallas, yeah. Consensus pick there. Right. Raiders at Broncos. The big matchup in the AFC West. Who have you got? Oh, uh, Oakland. Oh, Oakland. Okay, I've gone for Denver. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Colts at Seahawks. You're first this one. Pardon? You're first with this one. Oh, was I sorry? Uh, sorry, I'm going to go for the Seahawks. Um, I'm going to join you. Seahawks consensus pick. Yeah. Redskins at Chiefs. I think. Oh, I Chiefs. Consensus pick Chiefs, and finally. The big two-pointer. Philadelphia Eagles take on the Chargers. Chargers have not won a game yet. And I predict they will start the season 0-4. I'm going for Philadelphia. I thought this is one where you could really go go for um, the sort of the, the struggling team. I think this is exactly the sort of game that somehow the Chargers win on their way to sort of endless 6-10 years. So, yeah, Chargers. Chargers, there we go. So that's the picks. Get those locked in. We'll review those next week, see how that shakes out. Excellent. And let's hope that I can somehow get... Well, it would take basically me to be right on all the ones that we differ on, I think, for me to take the lead. So let's let's gloss over that. 
And I think that's going to be all we've got time for there, guys. Uh, be sure to check out the episode tomorrow. We will be having the top college quarterbacks, where I'll be going uh, talking one-on-one with Mark Schofield of Inside the Pile on Bleach Report. You know, he's Mark, as most of you guys know, is he's a, he's a bit of a I say a bit of a, he is a massive quarterback guru. Uh, we're going to talk about the top ten college quarterbacks, the top five draft prospect quarterbacks. Obviously, there's a big difference there, and he's going to give us a few sleepers who maybe we should be looking out for come draft time. So be sure to check that out tomorrow. Uh, Nick, thanks for joining me on the podcast once again. Again, sorry to take over hosting duties at the end here. Uh, you've done great hosting once again. Uh, guys, go follow us on Twitter at The Inside Zone. Be sure to leave us five star on Twitter. Um, whatever Stitcher does, be sure to leave us a good comment on there. Until next time, cheers. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the website at www.theinsidezone.com. Till next time.